Hello, you Julian Boulevards. Welcome to podcast number 54. I think it's 54. It is 54. Um, fabulous response to last week's podcast, actually. Um, it was a live podcast with The Economist, David McWilliams, from Vicker Street. And, yeah, fuck it. I, th- I think that's the... M- with the exception of Spike Lee, with the exception of the Spike Lee podcast, which I don't think counts as a live podcast, but the David McWilliams podcast is the most amount of positivity I've gotten from ye, from a live podcast. And for me, not only was it good crack, and was it interesting, do you know, I learned a lot from it. You'll notice in that podcast, I, I was fairly quiet, because I was sitting back and listening to the cunt. Um, but the fidelity of it, I was thrilled with the fidelity of it. The quality of the recording had the perfect balance of the sound of our microphones, but without too much crowd noise, you know? Because that's a weird one. Like, we'll say a stand-up comedian, if they're putting out audio, they want the audience to be loud. Because if the audience isn't loud and it's stand-up, it can just sound like a person screaming into a microphone quite manically in an empty room. But with the live podcast, I just, I I think excessive crowd noise can fuck it up. Because what you want from a good live podcast is the intimate podcast hug. You want the sense of eavesdropping on a conversation that happens in a kitchen. So if the audience is too loud in the recording, it can fuck up a couple of moods. Just basing that on on previous comments. So what have I been up to for the week? Hold on, my microphone's acting the bollocks. No, my earphones are acting the bollocks. Here we go. What have I been up to for the week? Um... Yeah, I, I noticed, I noticed recently, as you know, I love running and I love going to the gym. Um, my microphone has been a real cunt. Two seconds. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I exercise six days a week. And I've said before, the reason that I exercise is part of my mental health regime like there's physical benefits to it obviously but that's not the goal and I've been exercising for fucking years and what I've found and this is quite important if if you want to stick to an exercise regime if you're doing it for physical results then it becomes difficult to stick to it I don't know why it's just because everyone falls off the wagon a bit and then what can happen is that if if you're going to the gym or if you're running and your specific goal is to look uh, what you consider to be better or to lose weight what happens is that you'll be getting on grand for six weeks and then naturally you'll fall off the wagon you mightn't go to the gym for a week or you mightn't run for a week and then you'll notice the negative effect of that and that can be very disheartening and that causes a lot of people to quit outright and that's a cycle I had. Like, I've been fucking going to the gym since I was 14. I love the gym. 
But for years and years and years, I would find myself in negative cycles. And the reason was I was going to the gym and exercising exclusively for physical results. And then on top of that, those physical results would have been tied up in my self-esteem. Basically placing my self-worth, my value as a human being in looking muscular or not being overweight or looking fit. Um, my placing my value as a person in how I think others perceive me. So that's a losing game, first of all. And as well, it means that if your self-esteem and self-worth is rooted in how well you look as a result of the gym, what that does is it means that falling off the wagon in the gym or losing progress or not doing as well as you think you should it no longer becomes about something as simple as lifting weights. It becomes about your sense of personal identity, your self-esteem. And that that was very threatening. That can be very, very threatening. You know, the stakes now are, are colossal. It's because I have haven't gone to the gym for a week and I'm a little less strong or because my fucking arms aren't as big as I want them to be, I am now a, a shittier person than I was. And that can cause someone to just completely quit. But I'm on a streak of about maybe five or six years of consistent, regular exercise because I changed my goals. The reason I exercise is because I fucking love it. I absolutely love the process. If it's going to the gym, I love lifting really heavy weights and feeling... Just the endorphins in my brain flying all around my body. And I love the flexibility it gives me. I love the extra bit of strength. It, it, going, exercising with weights can be quite good for mindfulness too. Because what it does is you end up being aware of these muscles in your body that you didn't know you had. Do you know? Like a muscle on your back or your chest or your leg previously you simply wouldn't be aware of but because you're working it out and you can now flex a muscle that you couldn't flex before it can for me now this is my hot take i found this to be very useful in my mindfulness because a part of mindfulness and meditation is like a lot of mental health issues depression anxiety they're all about the head mostly you're up in your head so when you're trying to be mindful or to meditate or to live in the here and now you try and bring everything back to your body so what I'll do often throughout the day if I'm trying to relax myself is I'll do what what's known as checking in with my body where in my head I visually map and feel and I acknowledge and notice that's what I do I'll acknowledge and notice that my feet are on the ground and then I'll visually travel from my feet all the way up my body to the top of my head. I'll acknowledge my calves, my thighs. I'll acknowledge my sides, my arms, my fingers. And I, all the way up to the top of my head. And it'll take about two minutes. But what that is, it's a grounding exercise. It takes you out of, or it takes me out of the anxiety of my head, or whatever's worrying me, into the here and now present moment. Which then gives me a sense of uh, control and responsibility 
And I've found that lifting weights is very good for that because it's just, if you do a leg day in the gym, you're aware of your legs for a day, you know, because they're kind of sore or the same with your back. So I love the process. I fucking adore the process of going to the gym, coming out of it, the invigorated, energised feeling that I get from doing it. Um, if you if you do go to the gym, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't go to the gym, and it's something you're considering doing, same thing I'll say for running. Like, it's... The first six weeks are going to be awful. They're going to be terrible. You're lifting shit you don't like. Do you know what I mean? Your body doesn't want you lifting, lifting weights above your chest. Your body wants you to relax and eat as much food as possible because your body thinks you're a caveman. But... It's horrible at the start, but trust me, after about six weeks, when you notice you start to get good at going to the gym, you're, you'll just get addicted to the release of endorphins and energy and all this stuff. So that's what I focus on when I'm exercising. If if there's positive physical results as a re- because of it, fucking class, brilliant. That's a side effect. But what keeps me going consistently is the process. I love the process and I love starting my morning that way because what it also does is if I'm not exercising and not going to the gym no matter how much sleep I get I will have an excessive uh, and continual feeling of tiredness throughout the day and lethargy and it's really unpleasant especially when like me like I'm I'm I have to motivate myself. I have to write a book. I have to write a TV series. I have to prepare this podcast. There's no one telling me what to do. I have to manage myself and to motivate myself. If I'm feeling generally lethargic, then that becomes difficult. But if I get up in the morning, have a cold fucking shower, do a lot of squats or military presses, then I'm prepared for whatever the day is thrown at me. I'm, I'm already motivated. The same with my running. I'll do three days a week of a 10 kilometer run because I love it it's a form of meditation it's absolutely gorgeous and if you're listening to this feeling sceptical I I believe you because I know what it's like to begin either going to the gym or running and to fucking hate it because it's not nice at the start it isn't but just trust in the fact that it's unbelievably beautiful after a while it's the body's antidepressants that's what it is like a load of beautiful endorphins for the brain so anyway yeah going to the fucking gym that's what I do obviously but as well so I noticed there's a certain exercise that I do called a, a pull up where you basically you pull your fucking your weight your entire weight of your body up a chin up you know what it is. And I've noticed they've been getting really difficult recently. And I couldn't make head nor tail of it. Because I'd been doing them consistently. So I'm like, what? why are these getting more difficult? So I jumped onto a weighing scale. Which I tend not to do. And I noticed over the past six months, I'd put on a stone. And I didn't know why this, w- this was. I was just like, fuck it, I'm after putting on a stone. That's why the pull-ups are harder. I have an extra stone of weight that I didn't notice. So I said, right, okay, I need to get rid of this stone. 
so I went I started that process on last Monday now the thing is with losing fucking weight it's it's a horrible thing to even google because you just can't get the right answer you've some people saying if you want to lose fat then you must go on a no carbohydrate diet that has only fats in it ketogenic right that's too extreme for me I know people who are doing ketogenic diets and they look fantastic but I don't know waking up in the morning drinking a cup of coconut oil having 10 slices of bacon for lunch and then a steak with some broccoli for dinner it just doesn't seem right it just doesn't sit with me I don't know why It, it seems a bit mad so what I prefer when I'm trying to lose actual fat is and it's worked for me the basic rule of if you eat less calories than you expend is that right then you will lose weight basically you're looking for a calorie deficit the food that we eat contains energy in the former calories and if you use more than you eat then your body will turn to your stores of fat to get rid of them so I fucking downloaded an app called My Fitness Pal which is a grand app and what My Fitness Pal does is whatever food you're eating throughout the day first off you open My Fitness Pal at the start and you say uh, it'll ask you what height are you uh, what weight are you so I typed it in and it's like yeah I'm about a stone overweight so then they said what, what's I'm 13 stone and I'm 5 foot 11 so they're like what stone do you want to be so I said I wouldn't mind being 12 stone so it says if you eat 2000 calories a day for the next 5 weeks if you follow that you will be 12 stone so what I do every morning every anything that goes into my mouth I'll either scan the barcode of the food with the MyFitnessPal or I'll just type it in and as well what I've started doing and this is the first time I've started doing this and thank you to the Patreon subscribers for this I just went into Argos and I bought a food weighing scales for 20 euro which is something I wouldn't have done that last year because I'd have needed that 20 euro too badly but this with the Patreon I was able to go yeah I can spend 20 quid on this fucking this uh, little food weighing scales a digital one so I put the exact weight of the food. If I'm eating my smoothie in the morning, we'll say, I'll weigh out my berries, I'll weigh out the banana, I'll weigh out the oats, weigh out the protein powder, and then chalk that into the app and it tells me exactly how many calories. So I was hitting my 2,000 every single day, and it's a good app, it's good crack, because at the end of the night then, you complete your My Fitness Pal, and it says, you reached your goal of 2,000 calories today, in five weeks' time, you are going to weigh your weight that you're looking for. So it's brilliant. I love it. But then the weekend comes around. And I was gigging up in Wexford. And my cans, my Polish cans that I drink at my gig, they were on my rider. I started lashing into them early. Kept it going. Kept it going. And then I got home and kept drinking the cans until about two in the morning. So the next morning I woke up. I didn't have a hangover because I drank my water the night before and I was pacing them. But I said, fuck it, I must put my cans into the fitness app. So I did. 
and eight Polish cans was 2,000 fucking calories. So those Polish cans at the weekend completely negated, entirely negated all the calorie deficit that I had tried, tried to achieve all week. And it was fucking eye-opening. Because I knew the cans at the weekend wasn't great, but I didn't know it would entirely negate all the boiled chicken and unflavorful food that I was eating all week. So that was a shocker. That was a fucking shocker. So now I have to literally look at possibly not having my weekend cans or maybe make my weekend cans monthly cans or there's no way around it really. Like I was even looking at okay, in fairness, a can now is it, it they're like 200 calories a can and that's slightly unnecessary. You could move that back to we'll say 120 if it was a gin and tonic. But it's still a big load of fucking calories. So I used to think I had a slow metabolism. I probably don't have that slow a fucking metabolism. I'm just literally ruining all my good diet and exercise during the week with weekend cans. So there you go. Um, But I will let you know in five weeks time if it worked and... I was actually able to lose a stone by following this fucking app. Don't use the app if you have obsessive qualities. You know, some people, as part of their mental health spectrum, could veer in the direction of OCD. I wouldn't recommend the app if you are in that way triggered. And also, if you have a history of eating disorders... These apps are fucking detrimental for anyone who has a history of eating disorders because they're too obsessive. But for me, it's grand. I don't mind putting all my calories into it and looking at it all day and micromanaging my day. It was nice, actually, because it gave me um, a sense of routine and took me out of chaos. The chaos of uh, just eyeballing food. But you know what I will say? I am... Not advocating for the fucking losing of weight. The reason I'm speaking about it is because me personally, I'd like to lose a stone. Because it just it crept up out of nowhere in the past six months and I'm less flexible and have a little less energy, so it doesn't work for me personally. So I'm making a decision with my body. Yeah, I'm gonna sort that out. But for you if you're overweight or you would call yourself fat, your business, 100%. It is your business, nobody else's. And whatever the fuck works for you. And everyone is different as well, lads. We've got this... Being fat and overweight, it's completely fucking demonised in society. And it fails to take into account that people are just different. Okay? People are just fucking different. People have different body shapes. People have different metabolisms. People are very, very different. And there's no one universal solution or truth. So, I suppose what I'm saying is, there's a very silly, unfair attitude that it's okay to take the piss out of people and their bodies because you're doing it to improve that person's health. Fuck off with that shit. All it does is affect the person's mental health. 
like just opinions about other people's bodies keep them to yourself it's even one of the things that annoys me about fucking Donald Trump Trump is a prick but people people use it as an excuse now to take the piss out of Trump's weight and the thing is if you slag Donald Trump over his weight you're not slagging Donald Trump you're slagging anyone else who isn't comfortable with their weight and a lot of people can get very hurt from that um, it's personally for me it's not something I find very hurtful because I can I can literally just go yeah I'm after putting on about a stone three quarters of a stone I know how to get rid of that so I'm actually going I'm looking forward to the journey of doing it that's a new task that I have I'm, I'm looking forward to the process and the mindfulness that I get to bring into my day now that's the other benefit you know using this app with my food I'm an advocate of mindfulness one aspect of mindfulness too is to mindfully appreciate and enjoy the food that you're eating so when I'm counting my calories when I'm looking at my meal and going I'm going to have two eggs instead of three or I'm not going to have the toast with this meal instead what I'll do is I'll take the carbs out and I'll add in extra protein I enjoy that because now I'm mindfully truly appreciating and kind of holistically taking on board the food that I'm eating and I appreciate it more so I'm quite looking forward to it other people just can have they can have complicated complex relationship with food food can be something that is an external uh, an external stimulant that makes them feel better inside and that's that's part that's that person's business it's it's not our business so if you are the type of person who thinks that calling someone fat or slagging someone for being overweight that at the end of that is some type of Machiavellian goal of actually doing that person a favour you're really not just don't bother leave it out and if you're the weight that you are your business if you're comfortable with that your business as well I'm only speaking about this shit for me personally Um, it's what works for me I I like being the weight that gives me the best quality of life flexibility energy and for me that's about between 12 and 12 and a half stone in my experience and the majority of fat people that I know are not fat because they eat loads it's just that's how their fucking bodies are and they try really hard and their body just it's like no sorry this is your shape you can try your best but this is ultimately your shape you know so we have to take that on board there's a real hatred for fucking fat people and I can't get me like uh, yeah it is a hatred for fat people it's it's we'd like to think oh no it's not it's it's a hatred for greedy excessive people but it's not that's not the case look at we'll say YouTube channels for competitive eat not competitive eating but a huge thing on YouTube is you'd get somebody usually quite a muscly bodybuilder type person and they will they'll say I'm doing a 10,000 calorie challenge today and you'll have this person who looks 
in great physical shape munching through 10 pizzas and people love that and that person is seen as a legend. If a person who's overweight or fat was to sit down and eat 10 pizzas on YouTube they would be vilified and demonised. Same thing with influencers. If an influencer on Instagram fits into the category of what our time, place and culture has decided is, is physically attractive, they can post pictures of burgers and chips all day long and it's empowering. But God fucking help that influencer if they were overweight. The comments would... You'd see like even, even like a female influencer and she could be thin, good looking and she'll post a photograph of a plate of burgers and say Monday goals, I don't know, whatever the fuck they say. You'd have 20 lads underneath going that's the, that's the type of woman I like now, a woman who's not afraid to eat. If that influencer was overweight or identified as fat those lads, they'd be, if they weren't, they weren't roaring abuse at her, they'd be saying, are you sure the burger is what you want today, love? Maybe, maybe the fucking salad is the option for you. Do you know? So it's not about consumption. It's not about greed. It is a, a demonization of, of overweight fat people. So what am I advocating for? What, what I would always advocate for is first of all to, to achieve self-knowledge as in an understanding of who you are a, a real deep understanding of your body of your mind to be able to have the authority to say for yourself what works for you um, if what works for you is going on a healthier diet exercising Improving yourself physically, becoming more flexible, becoming more energetic and doing these things solely for the purpose of improving the lived experience of your own life. Not for someone in your life who's telling you to look a certain way or be a certain way or for the imaginary people in our head. A lot of the time when we change ourselves for other people you're not really doing it for another person. What you're doing for it's it's for the judgmental people in your own head. Do you know? Do you get what I'm saying? It's like we've fabricated these judgmental people, but they don't exist because they might be too worried about their own shit to be concerned about us. But that's what I'm advocating for. Enjoy the process of self improvement, and don't get any form of self improvement confused with the path to happiness okay the little voice in our head that will tell us I will be happy when I lose this stone I will be happy when I've got bigger shoulder muscles I will be happy when I can run uh, 20 kilometres do you know what I'm saying we always fool ourselves into thinking that Happiness is this achievable thing. This grass is on the greener on the other side that once you get to this goal, that at the end of it, what what we're actually looking for is happiness. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. 
happiness is not something that can ever be attained. If your appearance or your health or your weight or anything is currently causing you to be upset, obviously improving around those issues will remove the reasons for being upset. But if you're not, if self-acceptance in general isn't the vibe, a new sadness will replace the old one. No aspect of your physical appearance, no aspect of your behaviour can affect your intrinsic value as a fucking human. And it's as simple as that. Self-acceptance. No matter if you're embarking on anything, you go first, where is my level of self-acceptance in this? So for me, saying I'm going to lose this fucking stone... I'm not doing it because I think I'm going to be happier in a month's time when I get rid of it. I'm going, no, I accept the way I am right now. I'm happy with the way I am right now. But personally, I think I'd be more comfortable in a month's time or in six weeks' time with this added flexibility and energy. That's, that's the better life that I want to live. Happiness happens in the here and now at all times. It is not something that's going to happen in six months' time. Happiness is the choices that you make in the present moment and how you enjoy the process. And any old-school Bandits fans listening who are thinking, Jesus, blind boy, but don't you have a song called Bag of Glue that talks about having sex with a girl who's fat? Yes, we do. And I would love to go back to 16-year-old me and to 16-year-old Mr. Crom when we wrote that and explained concepts such as empathy. But we didn't have it. Didn't have access to it. Too insecure. Too wrapped up in our own shit. Too immature to be seeing the world from in another person's shoes, you know? But that's the benefit of hindsight. That's the benefit of experience and growing. And just taking on board past shitty behaviour and trying to use a new mature understanding of it for a better purpose, you know, to use that to fuel a better purpose. Let's have an ocarina pause, and then I'll get on to talking about something silly, maybe. Oh, where's the ocarina? Here we go. So the ocarina is my South American Spanish clay whistle. And I put it halfway through the fucking podcast because there's digital adverts inserted. So we play the ocarina to let you know there may be a an advert for some shit you don't need. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That was the ocarina pause. Um... What? Yeah, the fucking Patreon. This podcast is sponsored by you, the listener. Via the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash The Blind Boy Podcast. Some people who listen to the podcast like to donate the equivalent of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month to keep the podcast... To, to keep the podcast going, I suppose... Um, if I wasn't getting paid for it, I wouldn't be doing it every week. I'd be doing it when a hot take arrived into my head in a very leisurely fashion. But because I've got Patreons and people subscribing and donating, I make sure this thing is regular every single week to give you your weekly podcast hug. So thank you everyone who donates on the Patreon page. And if you don't want to donate, that's fine. You can listen for free. It's a suggested donation. Completely up to you. Um, also, what you can do... Subscribe to the podcast. Like it on iTunes or on Acast. Leave a review of the podcast. Give it a, a couple of stars or a little review. Recommend it to a friend. Recommend it to a friend in a foreign country. In particular. I love... Um, just the mad little pockets of listeners I get all over the gaff, you know? Strange little communities in Canada or Australia, New Zealand, fucking Spain. Small little groups of friends. Like there's, there was a group of friends, there was about a book group got onto me in Italy last week. And they're people who meet to discuss books. Somehow they ended up with my book. I don't know how. And then they ended up listening to the podcast and now this group of Italians discuss my podcast at the end of the book group and I love that I just think it's fucking weird that is weird as fuck so shout out to you Sofia and Benvenuto you Italian cunts do you know what we'll talk about actually Um, to take a kind of a a weird twist on what I was talking about before the ocarina pause You know, the practice of, we'll say, depriving your body. Um, There's a thing called asceticism, right? Now, it's kind of a spiritual practice that's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. It's, um, it's, 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 how would I describe it? it's a form of self-punishment. No, punishment isn't the word. It's a way of depriving the sensual qualities of the body, right? The, the Like the, the senses. Touch, smell, sexual senses. Uh, eating. Depriving yourself of these senses 
as a way to achieve spiritual enlightenment, a kind of a spiritual goal. And this goes back before fucking organised religion. Like, I mean, you, you'd find it in, in... The Greeks were up to it, you know? Um, it's present in Hinduism, Christianity, Islam. You know, Ramadan is, in a sense, has elements of asceticism. But monks, Jesus, the monks were, like... Interestingly, with uh, how asceticism was practised in Ireland with the Irish monks was... They'd fuck off into an island, you know? What's that one that Star Wars is filmed in? Bollocks. It's near Valencia. Fuck. Skellig Mikkel. You know, Irish monks used... Their asceticism was to deprive themselves of other people. You know? The to the, the aesthetics, ascetic sense of... Aesthetic... I'm getting aesthetic and ascetic mixed up now. The Irish monks were depriving themselves of socialising other human beings as a way to achieve a spiritual enlightenment. Um, a Catholic priest's abstinence from sex is a f- and, and nuns, that, that's a form of asceticism. You know, if you take away the pleasure and, and feeding of the flesh... That this will bring you closer to a spiritual awakening or whatever the fuck, you know? Satanism, interestingly, is the one kind of religion that straight up says fuck off to asceticism. Satanism is about the animal pleasure, the pleasures of the flesh. The animal, <laughs> animal pleasures of the flesh. And hedonism. You know, that's what Satanism is about. It's about feed your desire for sex and for for anything, for food, the lot. That's what, that's a tenet of Satanism. To, to an extent, um, even some of the, some of the shit I was talking about earlier regarding mental health practices is a form of asceticism. Um, me getting up in the morning and... Yeah, when I go for a 10k jog as well, I do it on an empty stomach. That, in a sense, is a form of asceticism. What I'm doing is pushing my body. What my mind wants first thing in the morning is a big breakfast and to sit down in front of the laptop and to kind of waste my morning a bit. Now, if I do that, if I sit down in front of the laptop... Or in front of the TV with a big breakfast. Like the second I get out of bed. Then I will have a lethargic, grumpy, irritable day. So what I do is I get out in a pair of shorts and run. And if it's raining, all the better. Running through the fucking rain for 10 kilometers. To deprive myself of... What am I depriving myself of? Lethargy. Do you know? It's... It's... I'm depriving myself of what's available to me as a comfortable human being in the 21st century, which is social media, um, a breakfast and a couch. So I get out there and get my knees cold first thing in the morning. And it is spiritual. You know, being committed to 
your mental health is a spiritual practice. It's taking yourself towards a very here and now process based experience of happiness, not pleasure, but content contentment and happiness. But asceticism has been around for a long time, not to be confused with aestheticism, which means when something is looks nice or, or sounds nice. Ascetic. And the most famous, I suppose, practice of it would be the Buddha. Now the story of the Buddha, the Buddha obviously being, he's the Christ of Buddhism. But the Buddha was an incredibly rich young fella born into he was born into like a royal family now I'm getting all this from memory so if anyone's a Buddhist uh, get prepared to be offended while I make shit of your fucking religion with my my scant memory of it so the Buddha was a, a rich young fella he had everything he wanted right fucking everything well this was mainly his his dad's fault um, the the Buddha's father didn't want his child to ever experience any form of suffering whatsoever. Um, now they say it's because his ma had a fucking dream. That's it. Buddha's ma had a dream that Buddha would grow before she, while she was pregnant with him. Before she gave birth to Buddha, his ma had a dream. That he was either going to be um, a mad ruler king, very powerful king, or else a religious leader. And I think she said that to Buddha's da. The da freaked out and said, fuck that, I want an heir to the throne. I don't want the Buddha being a religious leader. I want him to fully embrace the power that, I want that I'm going to hand him um, as my son, because I'm the king. So from a young age, his dad was like, fuck this, uh, this young fella is not going to see a shred of unhappiness or human suffering. So what he did was, he gave him all the food he wanted, he gave him, you know, the best education, the best games, like, he made sure that the Buddha was never ever bored because there would have been jesters and musicians. And then when the Buddha got to about 13, and he started to get a horn and grow pubes, his father gave him a harem, which was basically like, from the ages of about 13 to 20, the Buddha was just having gangbangs all day. It was just in his bedroom with 16 of the finest looking bures from all around the village. And this was his life, consistent, continual, physical pleasure for every one of the senses, every one of them. And that was the Buddha's early life. So when the Buddha got to his 20s, you know, all the all the riding, you know, the non-stop, as, you know, as many guards as he wanted, all the food, all the games, he kind of, he was like, yeah, but what's, what's outside the palace? Do you know, he started to get curious. So despite the efforts of his dad, to keep him inside he snuck out with like a guide and snuck out into the villages around the palace where he had been imprisoned in physical pleasure his entire life and 
the first thing he saw is he saw I saw an old fella he saw an old man and he was like what the fuck is that what the fuck is that and his guide was going what do you mean what is that that's just a man but Buddha was like no he's all like frail and wrinkly and the guide said yeah that he's old and Buddha was like what do you mean what, what does that mean it's like that's what's going to happen to you that's what happens to all of us we, we age we get old and the Buddha was like fuck that's bleak so then he went out again and at this point now he wasn't able to enjoy any of the the pleasures of the palace because now he's you know he's there in his harem of women eating apples or whatever fancy shit they had back then and he's going I can't enjoy this it doesn't matter how many how many of these women I have or how much food I have or how much entertainment I have I know that I'm going to be old someday so he went out again with the guide snuck out of the palace and what did he see the second time a sick person he saw like a leper and the leper was like his own age and then he's like what the fuck is this and he's like that's a sick person what's a sick person well you know a disease can happen it can happen to you you know that we don't know why it's just some people get sick and it can kill them really early so again this was for the Buddha was like fuck this how am I supposed to enjoy my, my gangbang now and then out again finally for the third trip and they come across a, a, a corpse and then the Buddha's like what's that it's like that's a human being that's a dead person that's what happens at the end that's what death is do you remember I was talking about the sick fella and the old fella that's what happens it's that it's dead so this kind of throws Buddha into an existential crisis because he'd been protected from all of this his entire life and then on the last trip actually no was it was it four trips the last trip he sees he comes across an ascetic right and the ascetic was basically just a lad with nothing and that got it got into Buddha's head that because he had lived his life as this man of pleasure the solution would have to be in depriving himself of all these pleasures he believed that if I take away sex food the whole lot my money the lot that I will escape death old age these things it was his way of escaping it so in a way he became he was like the original hipster so he you know he, he left his incredibly privileged lifestyle went to the village threw everything away and became a, a mendicant which is a form of ascetic where basically it was he would beg he would sit on the side of the road and the only way that he would get food is on the generosity of other people he would beg for food and meditate in this extreme ascetic lifestyle in his way of escaping death sickness old age so on the kind of Buddha's path of asceticism where he was testing the limits of his body you know he was like um, going off to train in the mountains with mad yogis and things like that he, he would abstain from food 
I, I doubt it doesn't mention it, but I doubt he was wanking. He would abstain from anything it, 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 that was experienced in any way pleasurable by any of the senses and would just meditate for days and days on end in in a way to essentially to avoid the inevitabilities of human existence and like one day he was meditating so hard and had you know had turned himself into skin and bone that a young girl assumed that he was a ghost and gave him a bowl of rice which he accepted because she thought that he was a ghost that had granted her a wish but what what the what made the Buddha different? We'll say from, like I said, that meditation, yoga, asceticism. These have been around long before the Buddha. But what made the Buddha the awakened one or the enlightened one? I think that's what Buddha even means. He discovered that his asceticism. He was fooling himself. That what he was doing, he was he was avoiding inevitabilities. He was trying to avoid the unavoidable. That his extreme treatment of his body and that his extreme um, deprivation of the senses was as indulgent in pain as his previous life of harems and food and entertainment was with pleasure. So there were both extremes of pain and pleasure and each equally as unhelpful. So he... His enlightenment revealed to him a thing called the middle the middle path or the middle way. And that's what Buddhism kind of is. It's about... The middle way is, is humility and moderation. It's not extreme asceticism where there's punishment of the body going on to deprive the senses of pleasure and it's also not extreme indulgence in any of the senses it's a present moment just getting by just living and focusing on the here and now which sounds quite similar to all the shit that I go on with because uh, you know my I I won't say religion but my Doctrine, we'll say, is psychotherapy, psychology. That's where I kind of get my guidance from. And a huge amount of psychotherapy has its roots in Buddhism, you know. It genuinely does. Especially uh, Carl Rogers, who I spoke about a good few podcasts back. But anyway, yeah, after I butchered the story of Buddha there, I just want to talk about this particular sect of ascetics that I find quite interesting and they're very extreme there's a sect of Buddhism in Japan called the Sako Shinbutsu Sako Shinbutsu that's it and basically what they do is they, they, they mummify themselves they they kind of go about a final act of meditation where they die during meditation and their bodies don't decay. And it's incredibly 
rare sect and quite extreme. But it's a thing. The bodies don't decay. There's like only about 24, 25 examples of it. But researchers have found bodies of these Soko Shinbutsu monks, some of them from like the 12th century, that are perfectly preserved and didn't decompose. And their bodies are in a meditative state. Dead, obviously, but no decomposition. Now, it stems from there's a belief nearly across all religions that incredibly holy beings when they die they never decompose that these spiritual beings not even religion it's a human thing you'll see it uh, political um, it's one of the reasons when like when Eamon de Valera fucking died there is dead body on TV for two days you know using media as a way of mummification but the same with uh, Lenin the, the Russian leader the Soviet leader Lenin he took a while to decompose and I believe Padre Pio um, so it's something within the depths of the human unconscious that these you know great beings transcend death and death can't win by eating their bodies up and decomposing them but these uh, Japanese lads how they kind of went about it like obviously it, to meditate to the point that you mummify is going to be incredibly fucking unpleasant and they also don't consider it an act of suicide so how they go about it is that there's a 3000 day training process and only special kind of ascetic monks are chosen like these are these are monks who already have a long history of practicing asceticism and you know starving themselves for long periods of time going days without water going days without sleep you know um the first thing they do is they remove kind of all carbohydrates from the diet wheat and rice and millet these are gone and they start to eat things nuts berries pine needles the bark of trees and resin and over time their diet like just they essentially slowly starve themselves you know getting no nutrients there's also a theory too that what they're trying to do is is like purge the body of like human fat, water, all of this stuff to even purge the body of, of natural bacteria. They also will be eating certain kind of herbs and these these nuts that they were eating called cyad nuts and these are poisonous and researchers claim that eating these poisonous nuts kind of toxifies the body to the point that natural bacteria just leaves the body you know now this ends in death so it's not you know it's not something you'd advocate like these these lads are the eventual goal is death so they're toxifying their bodies and some have said that it's almost like a by eating some of these berries and these chemicals a lot of them are very close to embalming fluid so they're embalming themselves before they even die so once the ascetic monk decides that he wants to become a Soko Shinbutsu they build like a 
a stone burial chamber and he gets inside it essentially buried alive and they leave a tiny little opening in it for uh, fucking air to get in and the monk goes in essentially starving himself chanting meditating and also occasionally ringing a bell as part of the meditation and once the bell stops ringing then the other monks go and seal the chamber that's when they know right he's dead now and a few years later they open it up to see if the body is perfectly preserved and if it is then that monk has like transcended death or is is seen as to be not truly dead but in kind of a zombie zombified state of uh, suspended animation Salvador Dali tried to do it to himself Salvador Dali the famous artist near the end of his life read an article that fruit flies can deprive themselves of water and dry themselves out to the point that they can enter suspended animation and then re-emerge as a living being a thousand years later if you just put water on him and Dali tried to do that to himself tried to starve himself with water nearly killed himself to become a transcendental fruit fly so yeah the monks who could you know after a few years when when you open the chamber like the ones that just turned into a pile of and bones and dust they were not considered the Soku Shinbutsu but the ones who remained in state mummified they were the Soko Shinbutsu so their bodies were like delicately removed dressed in robes and a shrine was built and humans come and worship the the mummy who will one day come back to life um, now some say there's a bit of cheating as well that when they would drag the mummified body out of the chamber they would essentially smoke the body with incense which would preserve it as a form of uh, human worship jerky. There's another mad, quite similar practice. Now, this we're going back thousands of years for this. This goes back to Assyria. Um, so you're talking four or five thousand years ago. And it's known as uh, mellified men. And what this was was a very strange form of... of it's like the... 5,000 year old equivalent of donating your body to science or donating your body to medicine so what certain people would do in Assyrian society to become a mellified man is that they would live out their last days I think mellified the mel mel word as well refers to honey so these lads would live on a diet exclusively of honey for the past few weeks of their life and essentially die of a strange honey starvation. But, I mean, the extremity of it was something else. Like, they were essentially fucking sacrificing themselves. Like, they would say that, like, the person's the person living on this honey diet, exclusive honey diet for however long, before death, their piss would be honey, their shit would be honey, their sweat would be honey they would be honey from all of their pores because there's nothing left in the body other than, you know, gorging on honey. Honey itself at the time as well, lads. There was no sweets. This is Assyria. And honey is this magical source of sweetness that comes from a, a paper bag surrounded by insects that 
can kill you. So, like, it would have had serious spiritual significance, this fucking honey. And it would have been expensive. And then after they'd eaten only honey for weeks and weeks, once they died, their body was stored in honey, which is a fantastic preservative, you know. Um, And they'd keep the body in the honey for fucking ages. Um, Like a hundred years of the the body resting in honey and then the body was dug out chopped up into a lot of little bits and this would be seen as one of the most expensive medicines within the culture at the time people would buy little bits of honey preserved corpse of a mellified man and eat it to cure all ills so there you go so I'll answer a couple of questions I haven't answered questions in a few weeks. Um, most of the questions, if you ask them on Patreon, that's the easiest way. Well, you can always fucking... Here's the thing. Yeah, I've, I've tons and tons of direct messages on Twitter, Instagram, fucking Snapchat, and I try and get through them all. If I haven't replied, if you sent me a direct message and I haven't replied, I'm sorry. I literally get 60, 70 a day. I answer what I can. So the questions I usually take them on Patreon because that's the it's the easiest place. It's a smaller number of people. Um so Daniel O'Keefe asks, What is the origin? What is that? What what is the origin of the Irish slang word queer? Do you know, Daniel? I actually have a fucking interesting factor on that one. Queer is it's an Irish word. It some people will say, you know, it means queer, uh, and not queer in the LGBT context, but queer is in strange, odd. Most people in the in the Hiberno English sense, queer is used as, you know, I had a queer big cup of tea. That was a queer, strange film I just saw. It's used as I don't know the name for that type of word, but it, it can be used very flexibly. You know, the subject matter of this podcast was queer diverse, we'll say. Queer is interesting because around Wexford, where I was just doing a podcast recently, but Wexford is where the Normans first invaded Ireland. So the native Gaelic Irish, we were invaded in... Was it around 1120? It was about 40 years after 1066 when when the British were invaded by the Normans. So the Normans came to Ireland, to, to the coast of Wexford, around 1110, 1120, from the coast of Wales, right? And these Normans were the Normans who had taken over Britain. William the Conqueror, you know? His, his children, essentially. So the Norman that came to Ireland was Strongbow, and he brought with him a small force of these Normans. Now, it's it's not fair to call the Normans Brits. They weren't. Um, Britain was the Anglo-Saxons. Around 1066, Britain was Anglo-Saxons, who were, after the fall of the Roman Empire, these, these tribes of Germanic tribes 
eventually started going to England and became the Anglo-Saxons. So when the Normans, the thing about Normans, Normans were French, but they weren't really, because the Normans were Vikings. Uh, about the, the Vikings from Norway, Denmark, places like that, a warlike people who were class at ships. The Normans started exploring down around France and into the Mediterranean and one Viking called Rollo went to Normandy in France and what the Normans used to do was they would raid like Paris and they'd, they'd say like um, give us a load of money and we'll fuck off that's what they used to do because they were fearsome that's, that's, that's what the, the Vikings were fearsome so the king of France said to Rollo one day um okay here's your money fuck off and Rollo said we don't want money this time give us an area of land in France and that's what happened so they gave Rollo an area that became Normandy North men men from the north so the establishment of Normandy in France these people became the Normans so that's 900 maybe or 1000 then you go to 1066 these French-speaking people who are essentially Vikings, they go down to Britain, take over Britain with William the Conqueror in 1066. Then they go, let's have a crack at Ireland. Now, they did this, and I've spoken about it many times, because they had a father called Gerald of Cambrensis, who wrote a scathing fucking... I did a podcast on this. A scathing kind of assessment of Ireland as being this lawless, lunatic land. So the Normans came to the coast of Wexford in about 1110, thereabouts, and settled. And what was interesting is these kind of French-speaking people were a little bit... They would have had... No, at this stage they'd have been nearly exclusively French, an early form of French. They wouldn't really have been speaking English. They settled in Wexford and they started to intermingle with the people of Wexford who would have been speaking Gaelic and this pidgin dialect that was half French, half Gaelic by the name of Yola the Yola dialect and Yola culture and I don't know why it only happened in Wexford this established itself in Wexford and it maintained this little separate culture and dialect of half French, half Gaelic it kept as a small little culture up until about the 1700s which is quite recent, you know. And the only word that we have left from the Yola dialect is queer. Queer is a mixture of Norman and Gaelic. It's the only word left. And that's why queer is a special word. Um, I wrote that into one of my short stories. I have a short story about a... If the character ends up fingering the banshee. I don't know, but it's set in Wexford. And the word queer features into it. But, yeah, there was that. That's where queer comes from. The the Yola dialect, which was a pidgin of French and Gaelic. There was another interesting, similar culture that emerged. Called Fingal, or Fingalese. Up around the area of North Dublin. Uh, Fingal, the Fingal area, which would be fucking... Rush, Lusk, Donabate, Blanchardstown. But Fingalese was a separate little culture too. With its own language. So I hope that answers your question, you prick. Michael asks, What is your theory on, what's your thoughts on the flat earth theory? 
Is it truth or spoof? It's spoof, obviously. There's the, the, the art is round. Right? We know this. This is evident. But what makes the flat art theory so interesting and the fact that flat art really only gained traction in the past four years. Because a rapper called B.O.B. It was very fucking clever. Very clever. B.O.B., who was promoting an album, comes out and says the earth is flat. And the entire internet said, what are you talking about, you lunatic? And all of a sudden, everybody is now talking about B.O.B. and his flat earth. And it probably ended in a few extra gigs or a few tickets sold or whatever. Flat earth theory which is utter bullshit, obviously. It is the theory that the earth is not round but is flat, which shouldn't exist. It's a great commentary on our times. It relates to some of the... the po- I had a podcast, two podcasts ago, where I spoke about the nature of knowledge today in the clickbait kind of post-truth world, where truth is hard to get our hands on because... We're living in this new era of spectacle and theatre, you know, where it's hard to know if anything is true because there's so many multiple viewpoints on the internet and flat earthing is one of those things. It can only exist today in the world of clickbait and unstable reality that we inhabit and that's what makes the flat earth thing bullshit but also interesting that in this kind of that it only exists now fine if it existed before we fucking circumnavigated the globe but today are you for real the flat earth come on but there's people who actually fucking believe it because you've got a president of the United States calling truth fake news Reality has been fully destabilised. So within that destabilisation, it's possible for flat earth to be believed. There's people who believe that the earth is is controlled by interdimensional shape-shifting lizards. Why not a flat earth? They believe that these lizards live inside the earth. It can only exist now, in this time where reality has been fully destabilised. Truth has been destabilised. From the top down. Okay, that's enough for this week. Um, regarding last week's podcast, was it last week? I was speaking about my video game, my problematic attitude towards video games and my potential video game addiction. What I've been doing is I'll only play video games at night time. That's it. The daytime, no video games. I'll have an hour or two of video games after nine o'clock and get all my work done during the day. That's really been working for me. Um, I have a live podcast with the author... Roddy Dial, which I I might spoil ye and put it out this week in the next couple of days because his film Rosie is in cinemas and I want to help him promote it and Rosie is a great film please go and see it but I'll try and put out that Roddy Dial podcast over the next couple of days um, the reason I didn't put it out last week because I was supposed to put Roddy out last week I didn't have the proper recording Um. I recorded a version on my machine that had too much crowd noise and Vicker Street recorded a better version that was just the mics so I was waiting to get that recording. Alright, I'll leave you go you uh, fantastic boys and girls. I hope you took something from this week's podcast. Um, I enjoyed doing that. Now there was a nice 
old school flowy rant you know alright look after yourselves rub a dog be compassionate to yourselves be compassionate to other people yort Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.